First Christian Church of Chiefland brings you the good news and now Tom Show. When God says no. Besides Mama and Daddy, no is one of the first words we learn as a child. And how do we handle that? <laughs> we don't. We don't handle it too well, do we? Trust me, I have a four-year-old granddaughter at home. No is the last word she wants to hear. And the next word we learn quite well is this. Why? We don't like no, and we want to know why. I remember the answer I always got when I would say why. Because I said so. That's why. That didn't sit well with me either as I grew older. But I've come to understand that answer. So let me ask you this. What happens when God says no? Too often we carry forth this same method of reasoning. We want to know why. I want us to look at what happens today when God says no. Does that mean God doesn't care about us or for us? Does it mean that he, he's being cruel? No, it does not. We must always remember these special words from Isaiah. I want you to remember these words. Write them down. Memorize them. Help in a lot of situations. It's found in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. It says this. As God told Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I can't help but think when I see that, and, I, and God says no to my prayers, and I say, why? I look at this and think, God said, because I said so. It's that simple. God's thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. In other words, God sees the big picture and we can't see the big picture like he does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, we're tackling a topic that might be to some confusing, to some It'll help them understand you in a mightier way, and, and I pray that's the case. Because it seems like in life, Lord, none of us want to be told no. But there are times we need to be told no. There are times you have told your children no. And I pray today that we'll learn why you said those things. It's not because you no longer love us or you're angry with us. But we need to hear no because it's the best answer that we need at that very time. So thank you, Lord, for your blessings, allowing us to learn this lesson. I pray you'll help me, Lord, to convey it properly today to my brothers and sisters. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Barbara Kirby was has written a, new, a humorous reflection about her first experience of driving. Now Barbara's father took her to the high school parking lot for driving lessons. And perhaps maybe as you were learning to drive the same thing happened to you. I know it did for me. 
For this particular lesson, Barbara's three-year-old sister rode along in the back seat. And while trying to negotiate a turn, Barbara hit the curb. From the back seat, she heard a small voice say, God is great, God is good, let us thank you for our food. And Barbara slammed on the brakes, turned around to the back seat and yelled, What are you talking about? Her little sister replied, Your driving is scaring me and that's the only prayer I know. Well, these are times when we start to pray and have no idea what to pray for. And there are times when we just don't know what to say to God. But we can rest assured that God understands us and understands what we need. We can be assured that God is going to answer our prayers. And I believe there are too many people out there who believe that there are times when God doesn't answer their prayers. We need to realize that there are only few times when the scripture says that God doesn't hear our prayers. There's only a few times. Here's some of them. And this might be all of them. I don't be honest. I didn't double check my list to make sure this was all, but these are the ones I can find. When we ask amiss for our own pleasures, James 4.3 says, in other words, we're asking an outrageous prayer just to satisfy ourselves. It says God will not hear that prayer. Psalm 66.18 says, when we regard sin in our heart. In other words, we put the sin, and harbor the sin right there, and we're not interested in getting rid of that sin. God's not going to hear our prayer. When we have vain repetition, according to Matthew 6, 7. In other words, we just repeat the same prayer over and over with no heart, with no attitude, with no soul. We don't really care. We just keep saying the same words like a ritual, thinking God's going to hear it. He's not. James 1, 6 through 7 says, if we doubt God... Okay, God, I don't know why I'm even taking the time to utter this prayer because I seriously doubt you're going to answer it. But here it goes. Because I don't really think you can. We doubt God. Proverbs 28.9 Not listening to God's laws. God tells us to do something. We don't. And then we think God's going to hear our prayer? No. And then this is for the men. Take this one to heart, husbands. Trust me on this. In 1 Peter 3, 7. You are inconsiderate to your wife. In other words, you don't treat your wife like she deserves to be treated. It says, not only God will you upset God, but he will not hear your prayers. That's one to take very seriously as a husband. You see, we know that the scriptures are quite clear. That when God hears our prayers, he answers. Right? You understand, when God hears our prayers, he answers. Now here's the, the difficult part that we, we don't like to hear. One, we want to hear one word from God when we ask a prayer. For God to say, yes. <laughs> right? That's an answer to our prayer. Yes, well, here you go. I'm going to let you in on a secret. No is an answer to our prayer. When God says no. Or when God says, wait a while. Now how many have ever, how many have had children and have ever had to tell your children no? Mom, can I have a new car? No. Guess what? They requested something, you answered it. 
Or, Mom, can I have this? Maybe later. Wait a while. <laughs> go ask Dad. Just so, I can guarantee if I ask Mom, she said go ask Dad. Now, that was a waste of time. I know what I was getting from Dad. If he didn't automatically say no, he'd say, what did your mother say? <laughs> and I better say the right thing. <laughs> or I was in a lot of trouble. You see, yes, no, and wait a while are all answers. And we can all see very clearly when a prayer is answered yes by God. There are also times when God replies by saying, wait. Because we need to wait for the answer. It might not be the right time right now to answer that prayer the way we think it should be answered. So God says, wait. And there are times when God says no. And this morning, I want us to look at what happens when God says no. Does that mean that God doesn't care for us? Does it mean that he's being cruel? Absolutely not. It means he just says no. And there are three times in scripture when God said no to his children's prayer. Three times. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. The first time I recognize is this. Now I want you to understand these are not going to be in order, but they're in order that I want to preach them today, okay? The first one I want to recognize, not that one. God said no to Paul. God said no to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, is where I'd like to read. And Paul wrote these words. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. In other words, he was in prayer and asked God three times to take away this thorn in the flesh. And concerning, okay, and he said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then... I am strong. God very clearly said no to Paul. It seems that this thorn in the flesh, which has been speculated to be numerous different things, stayed with him possibly until his death. Now I have to laugh whenever I read this because I've heard different preachers try to discuss what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. Some say it was because he was blind or going blind. Because at one point he talks about, see what big letters I write with. So it seems his eyesight was going. Others it might have been because he was uh, had trouble walking, bent over. Because if you remember, he was beaten many times with rods. So we don't know what kind of bone condition he had at this point. Perhaps he walked bent over and the like. I heard Chuck Dowdy once say, and I kind of like this one because it gave me a chuckle. Chuck Dowdy said the thorn in his flesh was that he was ugly. It's like ugly, yeah, because he had beaten, been beaten so many times, his face was just a mess. And I think if we focus so much about the thorn in the flesh, we miss the real part of this whole scripture. 
when God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, why would God want someone to suffer from some ailment? Why would God intentionally allow someone to endure pain the way Paul was? Because my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfect in weakness. I think there are a couple things that we can learn from the Lord in this statement. God says, my grace is sufficient. Now, what if you called Central Florida Electric because your power had gone out and got an answer like that? Would you be confused? What is that supposed to mean? I think if God's telling Paul that he doesn't need to worry about this thorn in the flesh because God's grace has freed his soul. You see, often that's what happens, isn't it? We can get so consumed with the physical problems that we're taking care of, or that we have, that we miss the real blessing of that we've been saved by God's grace. We've been freed from our sin. And that's something to rejoice in. He reminds Paul that while there's going to be things on this earth that will cause us a great deal of physical pain, we can still know that God has given us His Son to take away our, our spiritual punishment. And God says, no, I'm not going to remove this physical ailment because life isn't supposed to be free of pain, but you can rely on me to relieve your spiritual pain. Secondly, God says power is perfected in weakness. Now, I'm not a very physically strong person, and that should be pretty obvious by just looking at me. And so is God saying that I have more power than Arnold Schwarzenegger? Absolutely not. What kind of power are we supposed God to, is concerned with here? He has just reminded Paul that he should be more concerned with his spiritual health than his physical well-being. And so clearly, we can see that God is focusing on the spiritual power. So how is spiritual power perfected in weakness? Think about it for a moment. When do we pray the most? Do we pray a lot? More when we're happy and things are going our way. The sun's shining and we've got no worries. We're walking around whistling, you know, don't worry, be happy. We're just having a great day and nobody can rain on our parade. We don't, do we? No, we pray more when we're suffering. When we've got major problems. When we don't know what to do. We are also more focused on God and His Word. And God's telling Paul and us today that when we are weakened by this life, that's when we are our strongest. Because that's when we begin to rely more on the Lord. That's when we begin to pray earnestly to Him. That's when we're more focused on God and His Word. We are stronger when we are more in a physical weakened state. You know, I've known a lot of people over my lifetime who have had cancer. Or have had some uh, disease that probably was going to eventually bring them to their death. And I've prayed for a lot of people who have cancer and any other kind of disease. And I can guarantee you, not all of them recovered. Some of them didn't. Does that mean God's not fair? Some were cured of cancer and some were not. That must mean God's not fair. No, not at all. I told someone this one day they had cancer and 
And they said, they couldn't understand. You know why I'm not getting any better? I'm praying. I've been faithful to God all these years. And I'm praying. And I said, let's look at it from a different standpoint. What's God's plan for you in all this? And they just stopped and looked at me. I said, you know, the people you're able to reach right now when you go to the, the uh, when you go in for your chemo, when you're going for your radiation treatment, you're going to oncology, the people you're able to reach with your enthusiasm and your talk about Jesus that other people aren't getting the opportunity to reach. And right now you might wonder, why aren't I getting any better? Because you're not seeing God's plan for you right now. And they stopped and they thought about it and they said, I never thought about it that way. And it changed their whole demeanor. And I will say this, eventually they got better. Went into remission. But the point is, we, we don't always see the big picture, do we? And how many stories have you heard of people tell of a time in their life when things were going great and they just decided to start praying more and everything just got even better? And I don't think I've ever heard a story like that. But I've heard countless stories of people whose lives were in shambles. And they decided to turn to the Lord. When they did, everything changed. It doesn't mean that they were miraculously healed or completely free of their circumstances. But they knew that God was in control and they began to rely on Him. And why then, when God says no, we want to get angry with God and blame Him for all our woes in life. And then say, well then, I'll show Him. I'll stop giving my money to the church. Or maybe this, I won't do anything. I'll just sit there. Or perhaps, well, I'll just quit. That'll show God. What are we saying? Thanks, God, for the salvation. But you didn't heal my illness or stop my child from dying or keep me from losing my job or now my house. So forget you. I know of a man who was faithful in the church along with his family and his 12-year-old daughter got a tumor in the base of her brain in the brain stem. And the night before the surgery, the church members gathered. Somebody was at the church building for 24 straight hours. Somebody was there, signed up to be there to pray for that family and to pray specifically for his daughter. And when she went into surgery the next day, Dr. Ben Carson performed that surgery, if you know who he is. Famous brain surgeon and now politician and so on and so forth. But by God's blessing, when he opened her up, the tumor just kind of popped out. And even Dr. Carson said, it's not supposed to happen that way. There's only one way I know that that could happen, he said, and that's by God's blessing. Now that sounds like the best part of the story, right? Unfortunately, a couple years later, she developed another tumor, and this time it took her life. You know what happened to her dad? He angrily left the church. Because she was not made well. See, he lost his daughter. That's sad. In Leadership Magazine, Ben Patterson wrote a story about a time when he was in pain. 
It was the spring of 1980. He had been diagnosed with two herniated discs in his back. All he could do was lie on the floor. He couldn't get up to preach or visit people or anything. And there was absolutely nothing to, for him to do except pray. And not that he came to this conclusion in the best of manners. It was actually out of boredom and frustration he decided to just pick up his church directory and start praying for every member of the church. And this led to a commitment of prayer that he had never experienced before in his life, even after his back had been healed. He continued that habit, that daily event in his life to pray for the people in the church. You see, even in our weakness, weakest moments, we can find a great deal of strength in the Lord. And sometimes the Lord says no because he knows that we need to be reminded of this. Number two, which I already gave you a hint on, God said no to Jesus. What? God said no to Jesus? He sure did. Listen to this in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And coming out, that's coming out of where they were in the upper room and Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper and now they, they've left the upper room and they're heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. And coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. When he came to a place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Then the angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. We all know that God said no to that prayer. Jesus prayed this prayer three times. Sound familiar? <laughs> Same as the Apostle Paul. Jesus, had, as would anyone who knew what was about to happen to him, prayed that he wouldn't have to go through so much suffering. But God said, no. God said no to his own son. Now there are two important things for us to notice about this interaction here. The first of all, we need to look at how this prayer was prayed. How often when we are praying do we actually say words like not my will but yours be done. Usually it's more like Lord I need this and I need it now. And we have a tendency to see God not as someone we bring our request to but rather like we see a restaurant where we go up to the counter order what we want and if we don't get it guess what happens? We get agitated. Is that the way prayer works? Of course not. We shouldn't expect God to be at our beck and call. God isn't there just to fix whatever we have a problem with in our lives. God is the creator of this world. He's going to allow things to progress as he sees fit, not as I demand. And secondly, let's look closely at God's answer to this prayer. Yes, God says no to Jesus. And Jesus wants to be freed from the inevitable suffering he was going to have to face. But God said no. And the important lesson for us from this is that we need to realize how much more God knows than us. 
And I think a lot of times we come to God thinking, I know what's best for me. But we will learn fairly quickly that the Lord knows best. What might have happened if the Lord had granted Jesus' request? You're right, son. You shouldn't have to go through this. We're going to change some things up. Well, let's think about it. For starters, we certainly wouldn't be here at worship this morning. Why bother? Why are you here? Because Jesus didn't die on the cross? There would have been no sacrifice of the Lamb of God that would bring about forgiveness of sins. None. Only Jesus could take care of that. There would have been no day of Pentecost when the church began because nothing would have changed in the Jewish system. We'd still be under the Jewish law. Like we would really care. We're Gentiles. Without the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we all would be lost as Gentiles in the world floating around. We'd be no better off than the cows out in the field. If God had not said no to Jesus' prayer. There are many times if we could see as God sees, we would be thankful that God says no. That God says no. Also, we don't see Jesus getting angry with the Father and saying, okay, then I'm going to quit. Well, if you're going to say no to me, well, forget this. I am not going to the cross to die for those people. No. I think that is why it's so important to remember that phrase in prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. And we're using the God in control clause. I want you to keep that in mind. This is the God in control clause. And it's okay to say no because you know best. Father, you know best. You see the things that I can't. Maybe we should be a little less demanding when it comes to our prayer life. We all could use a little more humility in our prayers and we sure become well acquainted with the phrase not my will but yours be done. Try it. See if it doesn't change who you are when you pray to God. When you use the God in control clause. Well, we know he said no to Paul and we know he surely said no to Jesus. But look at this one. This is interesting. God said no to Job. He said no to Job. Let's turn to the book of Job if you have your Bibles. I'd like to go to chapter 1 to set the stage. This is a very interesting scriptures here, how God said no to Job. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 22. To set the stage here. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered and the Lord said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, 
Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you by to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay your hand on his person. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young men, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. What? He fell to the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. All Satan said, He will curse you to your face. And what did Job do? He buried his face in the ground and worshipped God. And basically what he was saying is, God, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Job was an upright man. He loses everything, his children, his servants, his livestock. And later he loses his health. His three friends come and they fill his head with the garbage that they must have been something hidden sin in your life. That you're being punished by God, Job. And through this ridiculous counsel, Job's attitude goes sour. He stops practicing his attitude of not my will but yours be done. And Job demands an answer for why he has suffered so much. He feels like God owes him an explanation. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever entered into prayer as though you were raising your fists in anger toward God? Is it any wonder that with an attitude like that, that God would say no? But look what God says to Job. Chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. And moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then go to verse 6. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. 
Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. When I was growing up, there were times when I wanted certain things to be done, or I wanted to go certain places, or I wanted particular things to be bought for me. And on the rare occasion that I mustered up the nerve to actually demand that I get my way, what do you think happened? Well, as I limped back to my bedroom, I had the time to think about who I really was and who was really in charge in that family. And that's what God's saying to Job here. He's saying, don't you realize that you're not the one in control? You see, God also points out something very important for us to remember. In verse 14, God says that if Job can do all these things he has listed, then he would admit that Job can save himself. And this, of course, is ludicrous. We know that Job couldn't save himself. None of us can save ourselves. And we must rely on the grace and forgiveness of our God. So why do we pray as though we are the ones in control? Why do we pray as though we are the ones who made the decisions? We need to remember to approach God's throne with fear and respect for who he is and what he can do for us. And God said no to Job. When it became known among the friends of certain gentlemen that he was going to go abroad, they came in great numbers to see him with a commission for him to execute. A lady wanted him to buy her a real Paris bonnet. A scientific friend wanted a microscope. And so on with all who came to see him. And when they had gone away, he looked over the list and found to his dismay that if he made all these purchases, he would have no money with which to meet the expense of the trip. Of all the number, only one brought the money to which to purchase what he wanted. When the man returned, his friends gathered around him eager to see what he had bought, brought back. And to their surprise, they found that he made one only purchase of someone who had asked. And one day, as I sat upon the deck looking over your list, a breeze came and blew away, all except this one, he said. But how could that be, someone questioned. Ah, was the reply. His order was weighted down. It had coins wrapped up in it. You see the point. Real prevailing prayer must have your best, your very best offering a self and substance wrapped up in it. When you pray for the relief of the poor, is your prayer anything more than words? When you, you somewhat emphatically instruct the Lord to convert the heathen, are there any quote-unquote coins wrapped up in your prayer? In other words, are you giving it your full heart? When we pray, is there any substance to it? Or do we expect God to do everything for us? Sometimes we may think God has said no to our request, when in actuality He said Here's your opportunity to take care of it. And we let it slip by. Let's make sure, first of all, that we are coming to God with the right attitude when we pray. 
And God is going to deny our request from time to time, but we have to realize that there's a reason behind it. Whether it's because we make us, it'll make us stronger, or because he knows of better options that we can't foresee. If we come to God humbly and with some substance to our prayers, then we are much more likely to have a successful prayer life. But we need to remember the saying, prayer doesn't get man's will done in heaven, but God's will done on earth. Now I want you to understand, we're not talking about a prayer for salvation for someone else. It's about you coming to the Lord. This morning we also need to remember that while God may answer some prayers with no, he will never answer a person turning to him with a no. No matter what you've done, no matter what kind of life you have lived, God will never say no to you coming to him. God will forgive. God is always willing to welcome you into his kingdom. If only you will be willing to come by faith and obedience. And I'm not talking about praying a sinner's prayer. That's a useless prayer to pray. Because there is no such prayer in the Bible. You can't pray a prayer to get into heaven as a sinner. But I know, I've seen it happen. Those who legitimately, with all their heart, want to know about God and how to get rid of their sin and legitimately want to know how they can be saved and they pray to God, God answers that prayer with an emphatic yes. And I've seen people come to the Lord who say, I've been praying that God would show me the right church to come to that will teach me the scriptures, and here I am. And not long after that, after teaching them the scriptures, realizing that scripture, that salvation comes through faith, then obedience. Faith and obedience. In other words, that faith leads you to repent. Faith leads you to confess the name of Jesus. Faith leads you to be baptized in the water and grave of baptism. To be immersed, to have your sins washed away, to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. And then that faith is leading you to walk that faithful life the rest of your days. That's faith and obedience. And nowhere in there, nowhere. And people try to use the Apostle Paul praying for three days on the road to Damascus when he was blinded. Well, I'll tell you what that says. To me it says this. Paul prayed and fasted for three days and wasn't saved. Then why did Ananias have to come and say, Get up, Paul, and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord, and wash away your sins. Paul wasn't saved in three days of praying and fasting. If, not, if he couldn't get saved by prayer, who do we think we are? No, it takes faith and obedience. And I know maybe some way I'm preaching to the choir today. But you know what I'm thinking about also? little thing of my lapel recording my message today and David's going to put that out there on Facebook and maybe somebody on Facebook is going to listen to my sermon that needs to hear those very words